This is a Crow's Nest podcast. Welcome to Titanic Talkline. I am Alexia, and I'm clearly in a good mood. Do I have anything new to announce? Uh... Oh, I am beginning to look for season two guests. So if you would like to be a guest on the uh, show, or if you would like to nominate someone uh, against their will to be on my show, send me an email at titanictalkline at gmail.com, or you can send me a message on any of the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Titanic Talkline, and get in touch. Um, and I'll see what we can set up. Uh, just in case you're wondering for scheduling purposes when that's going to be, I know it's far in advance, but it's probably closer to um, the beginning of next year. But I'm a super advanced planner and that's necessary for me. So uh, yeah, let me know if you want to be on the show or if you want to force someone to be on the show. And in the meantime, please enjoy today's interview. Uh, well, I would like to thank you again uh, for giving me your time. So uh, would you please go ahead and tell the listeners who you are and uh, maybe a little bit about yourself and yeah 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 hi my name is uh andy skinner and i live in southampton in the uk in england and my my job i have the best job in the world i get to spend my time telling stories and reading about learning about this incredible story of the rms titanic and i do that in my capacity working at the museum in Southampton called Sea City Museum um, and I have been here for oh I don't know about 15 years I came to study and then I've kind of stayed. That's incredible and you know I, I'm very interested in the Titanic I will say but you know I live in the United States and I don't know a lot about you know British history and culture but after reading Stephen Beale's book which exclusively talks about the cultural relevance and history surrounding the Titanic it just reminded me that having those contexts of culture really help you understand the base matter of the story you're trying to read. Yeah, the, the that whole kind of connection between different cultures, different nationalities, all thrown into the melting pot that was the Titanic is really fascinating. And I think that one of the reasons why people find it so interesting is that you you see this sort of tiny little microcosm of society just before everything changes and that happens in the first world war and beyond as well Uh, and one thing international listeners need to know about britain is we love our class system (laughs) we might not admit it to ourselves but my goodness me it is it is sort of written large into everything that happens even today in you know modern times but even more so in in um, 1912 i find it i was about to say that america's class structure is a little bit more blurred um in that i think there's the impression here that you can really ascend your ranks and do stuff and it's like keep dreaming but yeah, yeah. i mean put it this way that the fact that most of the leaders of of the UK in terms of prime ministers were all educated at one private school that should teach you everything you need to know about 
about British politics and class and culture and society. <laughs> so there's one place for the standard. Got it. Yeah. Uh, but yeesh, doesn't allow for a lot of viewpoints there. No, not always. <laughs> you know, they, they crop up from time to time, but it is, you know, it's, it can be quite challenging. That's fair. But what, I mean, I'm sure that you could tell me, um, I do want to know a bit about what Southampton is like today. But before I ask about that, what was it like in the time of the Titanic, before before the Titanic, because, mm-hmm. you know, that affected it quite a bit. But what was it like before? I, am, I In my head, I'm picturing a very bustling, busy sea, city. Yeah, there's definitely something of that. To, to kind of really understand um, Southampton's place in the time of the Titanic, you, you probably need to really start at the beginning of what we call the Victorian period. That's about 1838, because coinciding with the beginning of the reign of Queen Victoria, pretty much, is when they start building the docks here in Southampton. Before then, there were not established docks. Before then, there was no railway to speak of. But from about the 1830s, the late 1830s, is when you start getting a railway link from London, and it's when new um, large docks, which will allow for initially paddle steamers and sailing ships. And then as the 19th century progresses, you start beginning to see much larger ships, larger and larger and larger. And then into the beginning of the 20th century, you start having a lot more uh, suburbs with um men and women who are going to be working very closely in the docks and in the shipping trade. And then it's from 1907 that the White Star Line moves the transatlantic operations from Liverpool to Southampton. And with that, they create another new dock, which is where the Titanic leaves from. Um, Population, about a hundred and... 19,000 probably in in 1912 and and many of the um people who were going to work on the Titanic live in Southampton in fact about 3 quarters of all of the crew lived here and that is one of the really main reasons why the story of the Titanic is so important for us here in Southampton. It's not that she left from here. It's that mm-hmm. the, the men, mainly men, um, working on her. Yeah. Here. And, that, and that's especially why I wanted to talk to you, because my, my personal big interest in the Titanic and its story is these very human stories. The elements that, you know, really tie it back to the men, the women, the children, the people that were on the ship. And... um. I had spoken in the past to some people about, you know, sort of Belfast and the Harlan and Ship Wolfyard. Uh, nope, the Harlan and Wolf Shipyard. Um, but I can imagine that the impact on Southampton was swift and sorrowful. Yeah, well, that you could you could definitely term it in those ways. I think I read somewhere. I couldn't I couldn't quote you it off the top of my head, but that. When the news starts getting back that the Titanic has sunk, and and it and 
it's a bit like today, you know, there's a lot of kind of misinformation that happens in the reporting of the Titanic. The first newspaper in the UK, the Daily Mirror that reports it, kind of claims that everybody's okay. So Yeah, I remember hearing that, that like what a horrible roller coaster to ride yeah exactly and uh, the the thing i remember reading is that sort of a, a a hush descended on the town kind of you know everything just almost they almost zone out i suppose and in those days too if you were in mourning you would you would show it in lots of ways whether it be the the clothes that you wore wearing black clothes to show you were mourning. Um, you really it, only wore black clothes at the time to show you were in mourning, not yeah. so much today. Like it is, a, I'm wearing a black t-shirt right now. Yeah. It wasn't a fashion, fashion color. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. And, and then, and because the white star line had an office in Southampton, a little bit like how, if I don't know, an, an aircraft came down, what happens is what tends to happen is the the families of those people on the aircraft they go to the airport don't know where the, the plane was either going to or flying from right. and the same thing kind of happens where they crowd around the offices of the of the white star line on a road called canute road where all of the big um, shipping lines had offices it was that kind of place opposite it was the the tailor where if you were a crew member an officer you might get your buttons and all those kind of things um it, it turns from being you know a hive of activity lots of you know bus bustle as you talked about to right we're now we're looking to see if the name of our loved one has been morse coded across so we can either begin mourning or um looking forward to that day when they are returning back to southampton how many came back not enough in terms of the um there were about 900 crew and I think somewhere in the region of 686 died in the crew. And uh, like I said, most most of them gave a Southampton address. That doesn't mean they were necessarily sort of born and bred in Southampton. Sure, sure, sure. sure. But they, yeah, they certainly, you know, they had a presence here. Yeah. Um, they had may a, have, a life. I mean, maybe yeah, they had a life. sandwich order. Yeah, absolutely. It might have been in one of the temperance hotels or the um the, there was a there was a really large building called the Sailor's Home. I think there were about twenty seven people um working on the Titanic who gave that as an address and something wow. like seven survived. Oh. So yes, yeah, you know, these are huge numbers. And yeah. um I sometimes reflect on that, you know, the sheer human numbers cost of it all and um here in the uk we're, we're no strangers to you know c- catastrophic events you know the, the blitz for instance you know, britain was pretty badly hit and bombed yeah. in the second world war but in terms of mm, sort of a peacetime disaster mm-hmm. befalling one community j- just in terms of like the, the numbers which you can't always go on but I can't think of anywhere hit in one fell swoop like Southampton was after hit being after the sinking of the Titanic. That is how horrific it was. It was said that everybody knew somebody who'd been on the Titanic. Every street was affected by the sinking. I think that's true as well, pretty much, and without much it, embellishment. 
I think it was Stephen Beale who told me that I, I couldn't find it, but there was a graphic that was sort of an aerial map of Southampton that indicated every home that had lost someone. And there was places where you couldn't make it down the block. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if your listeners want to kind of look at that, there's a, a great website called historic Southampton and they've, um, the chat behind it called Russell masters has put together a brilliant, uh, interactive map where you can literally go on the addresses and you can you can go into the sailors home it will tell you all the people that were there and wow. you know what happened to them um if they survived or not um what's that site again a historic southampton historic southampton all one word yeah i think dot com maybe dot co okay we'll put it in the um we'll put a link yeah this one's fascinating but yeah it, it, it i'm sure that it was it was obviously very emotionally impactful, but I'm also sure that in the long term, that was quite a, an economic impact to the city to lose a large portion of its labor force. Yeah, well, absolutely. And um, added to that, if you had, if you'd opened your newspapers before the Titanic, you, you wouldn't have been reading about this great big ocean liner that was sailing from Southampton. Right. You'd have been reading about the fact that in the UK generally there was a miners strike for coal and this effectively left southampton in in real trouble because no trains to really can can run without coal obviously the ocean liners are dependent on coal as well and your homes so unemployment was i think around 17000 beforehand and, and then of course afterwards a huge proportion of the of the population are going to have been affected in some way and this is the day before um, the days before the welfare state so um there's no kind of um easy payout so they create what was known as the titanic relief fund and there was a a lady who was appointed um she was the lady visitor so if you were a fe- if you were a, a widow or a dependent um of somebody who died she would come round and I suppose offer support, financial support as much as anything. Um, things happened like um, children could sometimes be offered an, an afforded education that they might not necessarily have had um, before. That that sometimes happened too. So, yeah, it, w- it was very, very difficult indeed. I can only imagine, especially at a time when like many women couldn't or weren't able to work you know your husband's gone or maybe you've lost your husband and two of your sons how do you take care of the remaining kids or even if it's just you what do you do about you yeah absolutely and you know sometimes the pragmatic approach was to remarry that happened reasonably often for pragmatic reasons as much as love um i do love not being homeless so i see that yeah, I mean, having a roof over your head, it's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. No. <laughs> as, no. as life goes. Um, yeah, really, yeah, very, very difficult indeed. But people were, I think it was a harder time generally. And right. th- this, that generation and the ones before and after were incredibly resilient. So they found a way to get, get around it. Um there was also the well effectively the workhouse if you if you needed to um you could have an offer of the house and go into the southampton workhouse and they would provide bed and board but it was pretty miserable um 
you know you wouldn't really want to do that if you could possibly avoid it um but there there were ways and in those days before the war particularly a lot of women would go into service um so they would go and maybe be cleaners or, or whatever it might be in a home be servants right. um but remember it's only going to be 2 years until the great war is going to break yeah. out and in in world war 1 far more people were killed than than on the titanic and that's going to really change that's going to like throw up everything in society and it's going to yeah. you're going to see how it lands um when the war finishes in 1918 so um having that kind of happen. what what did, well um for a start um Occupations that traditionally had been closed to women opened up. So, for instance, right. um, in Southampton, um, tram, they could become tram conductresses before they couldn't have done. They could work in factories. That was really key. Um, in the United States, too. Yeah, because because the men are, you know, the men are at war mm-hmm. and they need to do something. Um, and then when the war ends, uh, the, the, the mantra was that the they would create a a home fit for heroes those returning soldiers mm-hmm. so there is um wage inflation and you know the, the the men are returning and they're not they're not going to become servants again like they were before they want different jobs and um better paid jobs and crucially so so things are going to massively change and this is again going back to that titanic mm-hmm. um sort of the way that that you get this snapshot just before everything changes in, you know, 15 years after the Titanic, you wouldn't have had that, that same class system represented right. in, in the quite same way. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really interesting. I've brought, I've said it a few times on the show where, you know, we, we've had class structure in the United States, but it's definitely not been as, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Intricate, intricate as, as, as Britain has been over the years, and we never not, had a, it's, it's not yeah. a set in stone, is it? No, it's never been an official monarchy. There's the class difference. I would say would be people who are like extremely high ranking politicians and therefore untouchable, and then the extremely wealthy and celebrities who, because of that reason, are also untouchable. But that's definitely it's really different because the last class barriers I can really think of were you know beforehand when women had fewer rights, and then uh, slavery. Yeah, our proudest moment. <clears throat> Well, you know, every every society has got its demons and its dark moments, but yeah, it's it's just it's quite interesting how how these things play out, and you know, some some things are good and some things aren't so good, but yeah, certainly when reflecting on the Titanic, it's really interesting seeing that kind of comparison from then to just a few years afterwards. Yeah, because I imagine too that again even if we just skip to the end of the war where not even the end of over like five years past when people have quote unquote settled down, I'm sure the society between 1912 and the, you know, 1925 are basically unrecognizable to each other. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And it's, it, I think it's partly because of the um, changing system of the U S immigration system as well. I, I can't remember exactly when they put the, start putting quotas on the number of people that can come into the country, um, but it, it would be around that kind of time. Um, so, so shipping lines, you know, the White Star lines and the Cunards and, and the like, uh, have to start thinking about. Oh, hang on a second! It's not going to be just a case of having third class steerage. You now need to make it tourist class, so so that because it's it's not just about you know getting 
getting people through the um through into new york or wherever it's it's a case of oh you can make it a holiday and, and so on so um yeah i mean there's so many mm, kind of aspects that that all play into southampton of course because if if um the, the immigration system is changing well then the people coming through southampton is going to change as well because beforehand a lot of people would use um southampton as a as their departure point for moving to america that was one of the one of the ways you would make it yeah that's right there's um there's a building it still stands today uh again very close to where southampton departs it was called the atlantic hotel um or the immigrants hotel and this was it's a huge um quite a really big um 350 room thing and it was primarily for eastern europeans who would come in before going on an ocean liner and by all accounts it was pretty miserable um I th- people would basically sleep on a concrete floor there were disinfecting kind of rooms um because of the concern about sickness um and and basically the ocean liner companies didn't want to have to bring the the, the third class back again if they didn't pass the immigration checks at, at, in america so um yeah so it's dis- disinfecting rooms it's really horrible it's probably quite a, you know reasonably ropey area of town as well although it's a um it's a dry hotel i.e you're not allowed to drink alcohol it's in a row of about i think there are about six pubs in a row or something so you kind of get a gist of the type of place that it is and interestingly the um one of in fact two of the passengers are linked to that hotel um and they're not eastern europeans there was a lady called ada doling she was a second class passenger her husband managed it the, this hotel and about nine months, I think nine months and 13 days after the sinking, she gave birth. So that she, that might have been the youngest person on the Titanic, in a sense, that little, that little I think it was a girl. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it kind of, yeah, you've got some nice, interesting links between the Titanic at the, and the Atlantic Hotel, that area of the town. I imagine there's a lot of links between the Titanic and a bunch of places in Southampton for any numerous reasons, either because somebody lived there at that place or if it was a, I don't know, a favorite restaurant. Yeah, well, absolutely. The, the, there was a, there was a train station in the docks. It's, it's a casino today. And if you were first or well, any class really you, you can go on the special boat train the, the sort of titanic train and if you're third class it gets you in much earlier than first class they can pretty much just swan on to the titanic mm-hmm. um but next to it to the station was was a large hotel and this is a very fancy hotel and actually that is where thomas andrews spends a pretty much a week because titanic was in southampton for about a week or so and he like and, the finishing touches are yeah, well, exactly. So he's um, everyone knows Thomas Andrews was very assiduous. He was, you know, he cared deeply about his work, and um, you know, he would he would stay in the hotel, and then about half eight in the morning, he would pop over to the Titanic and try and work out if the fans were working because there was problems with some of the second class areas, the heating wasn't working, and so on. Um, and um, I've got one book that suggests that the the grand staircase clock 
um, well, it hadn't been fitted. So on the journey round from Belfast to Southampton, they had a mirror there instead. So that's added in Southampton. So you imagine Thomas Andrews, you know, just making sure that, you know, it's, it's in the right place. And um, they're the kind of um, final checks that he's doing. But but as well as that, Captain Smith breakfasts there. And day before the sailing, on the 9th, um, who should come down in the, again, chauffeur-driven car, well, it's Bruce Ismay. So he, you know, he spends his last night um, before sailing at this at this very magnificent hotel. Again, it still stands today. In the Second World War, it was uh, rumoured to have been one of the places where um, Winston Churchill and I think Eisenhower um, planned D-Day um, because Southampton was a major embarkation point for for the D-Day in 1944. So, you know, there's there's a lot of history and a lot of stories linked to um, linked to the Titanic here in Southampton. What's one of the most interesting stories that you don't think most people know about? Well, I don't know what most people don't know about the Titanic. A, a really interesting, a really kind of fun one. It's kind of well known in Southampton, but maybe not quite so much further afield. Is about three um three men who were going to who were signed up to be firemen stokers you know shoveling coal um these are brothers and on the day of the sailing what happened was the crew would go onto uh would effectively muster on the titanic kind of sign to say they're going to be back at the time of the sailing which is 12 o'clock and then they go back into the town where there were loads of pubs and there's a pub in Southampton called the Grapes. And, I've heard of the Grapes. Mm, there's a big picture of the Titanic on the outside of it for the for this reason for this story. <laughs> um, so they're in this pub with a few other friends as well, who kind of you know they, there's a lot of there's quite a big drinking culture because the Titanic was dry according to the, um, the White Star Line regs. You know, if you're a crew member, you're, you're not meant to be drinking. So oh, that's sure, a bummer. Yeah, so I'm sure they made up for it. <laughs> <laughs> when they're in in port so even though it's eight o'clock in the morning they're still you know very happy to, to i go have to, the pubs. i have to say that was one thing i never understood in the cameron film it was like that is 10 30 in the morning and they're having a poker game with beer <laughs> but you said that you know what that makes sense if they were like damn we gotta load up before we get on this yeah boat. well yeah i don't know about the third class i mean the third class probably were allowed to drink but the crew certainly weren't meant to uh, anyway so they're, they're drinking and then at about 10 to uh 12 by all accounts th- these brothers and then a couple of mates realize oh crikey we're close now so they they leave this pub and it's not as the crow fires it's not far from where the titanic departs from but it, um it, it's far enough away because um in those days there were i think about six railways that intersected um the route effectively which they would need to make and they, there was a probably a tank engine that was um passing through now their mates who they were with were able to get ahead of this train but the Slade brothers were not and they have to wait and then by the time the train's gone and by the time they get to the the Titanic the the doors have um have closed and there again there are um eyewitnesses from the Titanic kind of saying oh we saw these people with all their kit trying to get to the Titanic and they weren't allowed um so they're they're you know it's an example of drinking being good for you because it you know, obviously <laughs> saved their lives. But their right. their view on all this was, oh well, we'd have been all right if we'd you know if we'd been on the Titanic, we'd have been okay. And I think the reason 
that there was this view was that the two friends they were with both survived huh. um William Nutbean and John Podesta so you know there's that sense of well you know would have been okay would have been um, with our lucky friends yeah and and the other kind of big um Southampton event that takes place is around the time of the sailing which is the near collision with the American line ship New York yeah. Um, which, which happens um, just as Titanic is leaving. And uh, New York has had all of its coal taken off because of this coal strike that we talked about earlier. Right. And um, the American line and White Star line were both owned by effectively the same company, International Mercantile Marine. So they they obviously want to prioritise the Titanic. So um, a number of passengers have their tickets switched to the Titanic, the coal is taken onto the Titanic from New York, mm-hmm. and as Titanic departs, I, I think because of the sheer size of her, it pulls the New York away from its mooring lines, which snap, and they come to um, they they come about uh, four foot one meter twenty from colliding, and it's only the quick thinking of the tugs that stops them from sinking, and. <sighs> Um, a, a weird. Uh, you know, I, I believe that the story of the Titanic is full of all sorts of coincidences. But one kind of interesting thing was I was um, I was at one of our museums some years ago now, mm-hmm. and I started talking to a visitor, and we started talking about the Titanic, and she said to me that her father had been involved in the tugs on that day. Ooh, yeah, and she said that he always blamed himself. The sinking of the Titanic. Oi. Um, for the you know kind of, kind of that kind of reason of you know if he hadn't done his job as well as he did, then maybe they'd have collided. And if they collided, <laughs> then the Titanic might have been damaged or Aww. been delayed or whatever. And then you know it's like the butterfly effect. You know, one little thing can change sure. change all of history. And it it was so sad, really, because you know this this man he lived his life kind of with this sense. And, you know, it's obviously not his fault at all, but no. it didn't stop him living with it. Um, so yeah. so for, for us here in Southampton, we all the time, we meet people with these connections to the Titanic. Uh, I work a lot with school children and at least once a week, there'll be a school child that comes and they'll be uh, uh, related to somebody who was on board the Titanic. Um, we've had people related to Bruce Ismay. Um to um what well, pretty pretty much everybody um Harold Lowe we had someone from ha- related to Harold Lowe and um, that's incredible yeah and it you know it's all all, <laughs> all the time you you know it's almost it's almost like you know the people that aren't related to the Titanic are the in the minority <laughs> the people that are um, that would it's, be it's me. astonishing <laughs> I'm being a bit facetious really there are there are a lot who aren't but it is yeah very interesting. It is very, um, it's a very wide net, especially as the, um, as we get further and further away and, you know, people spread out more, there's definitely more of those connections. And, you know, especially with things like 23andMe coming out, the ability to just find your history is really in your hands. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's the idea we're all, all of us related to, uh, it was at Genghis Khan, isn't it? We're all related to Genghis Khan, I believe. (laughs) Uh, go fat far enough, you're all going to be rated. 
Basically, it's that whole six degrees of seven bacon of Kevin Bacon, except in like a practical sense. But yeah, no, definitely. Is Southampton a really blended community just because it was a little bit more transitory of a city or not so much? It's a really diverse city mm-hmm. um, in terms of, I mean, today, Southampton's today is twice as large as it was in 1912, more than twice as large. Oh, wow. I think in the census last year, I think it's about 250,000 today. Okay. Um, huge numbers of, um, you know, all sorts, you know, all sorts of people um, from different nations across the earth which um, <clears throat> makes it you know such a strong a really strong community um which you you wouldn't have seen in 1912 i mean it's particularly and this is true across the united kingdom kind of post second world war is when you see um kind of great melting pots of of people but even in um even in sort of Tudor periods you're getting people um people of color living in Southampton you get a lot of um kind of lash cars and uh living in uh, coming in working in Southampton sailors from all kinds of places in the world you've probably um heard of the six the movie about the eight well, the eight Chinese passengers six of whom survived well I haven't um, had a chance to see it yet but I have I have heard of it yeah, you, you'll love it. It's great, and and of course, where do they get on? They get on in Southampton, and they're, you know, they're accepted for um, who they are. So it's um, yeah, it was a you know, really kind of vibrant community. Even in nineteen twelve, when diversity wasn't as much of a thing, was Southampton maybe more diverse than more than more um, other places in Britain simply because it was, you know, this major hub, an think, international hub. Yeah, I think maritime. So maritime centres, you know, Liverpool, London, Southampton, Glasgow, um, you'd have, you, you would, they would have been a lot more diverse than, you know, even close by cities and towns like Winchester and places um, like that. So, yeah, they would, you wouldn't have been surprised by the people that you saw in Southampton. And we've talked already about, you know, huge numbers of Eastern Europeans, so, you know, there'd have been loads of different languages spoken. Right. As you say, kind of passing through. I mean, Southampton has a nickname in, in, in the days of empire. It was known as South, um, um, uh, Gateway to the Empire. Um, and at one stage, a third of the world or something was painted red in the British Empire for, for good or ill. Um, today, it's more known as Southampton Gateway to the World. Mm-hmm. And the same idea applies Um yeah, so certainly there would have been yeah you know, huge, different kind of communities in, in the town at the at that stage. It makes sense to me. Just by nature yeah. of being an international gateway, you're going to have a lot of different people coming through. It's just the nature of things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, for instance, on I mean, on the Titanic, I think a, a lot of people from say, a lot is made about the Lebanese for instance, I think they probably would have got on in, I haven't checked it, but they probably got on in Cherbourg, I would imagine. Um, whereas in Britain, in Southampton, you're probably looking at more um, more sort of English passengers. 
mm-hmm. and then a lot of Irish getting on in Queenstown, what's now Cove. Right. Um, just just because of the geography of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that makes yeah, sense. You need to check that. I have no idea. I'm terrible. I, I don't even know the geography of the state that I live in, let alone <laughs> other countries. I'm horrible with them. But um... well, here in Southampton, we're at the very bottom of South. If you get a map of Britain, you go right down to the bottom in the middle. That's Southampton. Well, I would like to visit one day, so that's very good to know. <laughs> but I just realized I normally the first question I ask everyone is normally, "What is your Titanic story?" I haven't asked you that yet. What is your Titanic story? Mm. I mean, you you grew up in in Southampton, I think, but you know. Everyone has their own personal story. I didn't grow up in Southampton. No, you didn't. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you said you I, lived there for the past 15 Yeah. So my Titanic story began, I, I'm kind of at a funny age. I was I was not quite old enough for the movie in 97. How old were you? Uh, well, I think I was 11. I was, I was it was oh, a 12 in the UK. So I was, you know, it was that like, you know, little thing. But my mum so, took me to see it anyway. <laughs> really? Well, my, yes. my mum didn't didn't let me so when I turned 12 I with my birthday money I went to the video shop and I bought I bought the movie and um it got me interested at that stage and then I um then I kind of grew up and didn't really think too much about it and then I when I came to Southampton um I read history at the university here and kind of got interested in it um and then when I was thinking about kind of museums work the sea city museum which is the titanic museum here in southampton opened Mm -hmm. and so i was able to um you know kind of get get a job here but one of the weird things i talked about strange coincidences is my wife joe um had well was related to the youngest person on the titanic and the last survivor milvina dean that's right she she passed away not not too long ago right well 2009 but you know that's still you know <laughs> oh relatively God. i thought it was like three years ago. time no. is a soup i'm so sorry novena ding passed away Novena-ding. on the anniversary of titanic's launch 31st of may oh 31st of may um which is a funny old yes yeah, so it's a funny old kind of world that we live on in that you know joe's related to this you know incredibly kind of important person, mm-hmm. passenger and now i spend my days telling the stories of titanic so it's um Strange coincidences abound in the story of the Titanic. That's amazing. That sounds like a dream job. It's the best job in the world. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it's a lot of fun. So, what do you? What is your? Yeah. Um, what is the day in the life of working at the Titanic Museum in Southampton? Oh, uh, well, it depends. Um, but a lot, a lot of it is is for the next generation, really. So we spend a lot of time working with. Um, yeah, with with school groups that are local to Southampton and further afield as well. Um, today, I was taking some uh, group of people around uh, one of our you know magnificent buildings, and we went into one of them. And there's a um, a book of honour for the for those who were lost on the Titanic, and a little plaque about the postal workers, all of whom were lost as well. So even on a day that isn't specifically about the Titanic you know it's there's it, always titanic in there somewhere yeah i mean it's 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 like the primary thread in the southampton tapestry for some well it well it is in the begin the, the first sort of half of the 20th century and now we're just we're still living with the you know with the consequences of it it casts a shadow over the town mm-hmm. and it's you know it's so important i think not to forget it um, yeah. you know history is there to remind us so we don't make similar mistakes again 
really and to learn from learn from those mistakes too um so if i can do my bit in some small way in reminding people about this incredibly um relevant story then then i'll be happy i think that too it helps that there has been a consistent sort of current of titanic mania in the past 20 25 years there's always new content new books new tv shows new documentaries there's always new content being being produced yeah because for the first well in the aftermath of the the sinking it was what it was one of those things a bit like people's experiences in wartime they just didn't they really didn't want to talk about it and um that was absolutely true in southampton as well people that you know whose fathers or probably you know had fathers who were lost on it you know their their parents wouldn't talk about it i mentioned milvina dean she didn't Mm -hmm. see a picture of her father who died until she was an adult when a family member you know showed it to her And, and if that doesn't tell you kind of how people responded initially um i don't know what will um and i think it was around the time of Walter Lord's book and then the film Night to Remember, which I think it's late, late fifties, that's kind of when interest begins. But as you know, it's not really until 97, that's when things really kind of kick off in quite a major way. And (laughs) it's, you know, it's obviously a major, um, it's a major talking point. Lots of, yeah, documentaries and weird conspiracy theories about all sorts of weird things um they kind of keep it in the the public domain and here in the uk there's a there's an auction house that every probably every year they 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 auction off something from the titanic that's of interest um i yeah, think that I... sold wallace hartley's violin for about yeah, over a million pounds i think um Oof. so that keeps it in the um in the newspapers i think i saw like a a YouTube video or something about that auction house a while ago. And they were interviewing a lady who like, I don't know, she specifically collects menu cards. That's okay. her thing. She likes the menus. Yeah. We've got some lovely menus at our museum. Oh, We've sure. got one from the 11th of, um, the 11th of April, which is a breakfast menu for the first class. We think we've got mm-hmm. second class menu as well, but they all, they were also, um, they were postcards, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. So, um, people would send them off which is why some of them have survived yeah um so they actually sent they were sent i think in ireland they they went on the they went on the um in the mail sacks and survived the sinking what's your favorite thing in the museum um i have many <laughs> the one <I'm> I, sure. <laughs> the one i one i really like are um what it is is a bracelet and on the bracelet are three hazelnuts and the hazelnuts were in the pocket Mm -hmm. of a second class saloon steward called walter nichols Mm -hmm. so he has them while the titanic is sinking and i suspect they they didn't really get proper breaks which explains why he had them (laughs) and he obviously kept them in the aftermath um and he gave them to his wife, who then, I don't sure if she got it made into a bracelet or not, but it's it's kind of one little object that tells a story. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's an amazing, it's an amazing little thing. So that's, yeah, that's one of my faves. It's really neat. I have to, I have to plan a trip somehow to Southampton. I want to see the, see the city. 
Yeah, you well, obviously you would love it. Um, anybody <laughs> who's yeah, anybody who gets the chance, thoroughly recommend it. If you can take yourself to the museums, but also just walk around, you can you know get a get a map, take yourself around all the kind of sites associated with the Titanic, and you can breathe in that sea air and get a sense of what it might have been like um, back in 1912, 110 years ago. What's the best place for someone to stay? Like I, again, I'm not, I'm from the United States and I'm sure that, you know, you could find a Hyatt or whatever, but like, where would you recommend if someone wanted to actually be kind of near enough to go see a few places, maybe? Oh, I don't, there's a, there's a umpteen different hotels. I'm sure. Um, It's a shame that the, uh, Southwestern Hotel, which is the big one that Captain Smith had breakfast in, and so on. Unfortunately, that's that used to be a hotel, but it's not anymore. Um, but yeah, but that's an amazing building. It's it's one of these ones. Every so often, you you hear places where they go, the Grand Staircase is designed after this building, and they <laughs> say that about the <laughs> Southwestern House. Now, I'm not saying it was, but it does mm-hmm. have quite a nice staircase, which you know has similarities to. Um, to, to the grand staircase on the i mean the, the millionaire's tablet. captain had breakfast there i'm sure the staircase was quite nice yes it was and it had also has uh kind of nine i think they're 1930s lifts but they're quite similar Ooh. to the ones they might have had on the titanic the kind of one you, you need a concierge to take you up yes yeah. it's that kind of place i want to i want to operate one and not for very long i just want to be able to say i've done it push the button yeah yeah basically <laughs> i'm a child not really. <laughs> I think so, but I don't know. I think maybe there is a bit of childlike fascination that is involved with liking the Titanic so much. Well, I'll tell you what, the the response we get from, you know, seven-year-olds, in the in local to us here in Southampton, a lot of sort of seven-year-olds study the Titanic, and you Makes sense. Get, they just run with it. They're like sponges. And they're so fascinated by it, they'll be filled with facts. They'll tell you with glee that the fourth funnel was fake uh, and, and everything else. And it's, you know, that's, I mean, that is really quite encouraging that that that, that story is safe um, for another generation and hopefully far beyond that as well. I was, um, a friend of mine messaged me a little while ago and she was like, I thought you'd be interested to know that my daughter is really interested in the Titanic. I was very interested to know that. And of course it was like, Oh my gosh, if she ever wants to watch the movie, let me know. Cause I'm like, I don't know what else I could show her. Yeah. Um, and we recently did watch the movie with her, but yeah, I think she's 11 now or something, but still there is a fascination there. And, um, I follow the sub the Titanic subreddit on um, Reddit and every so often someone posts a picture their kid drew or like mm. a picture of their five-year-old coloring in the Titanic. And it is, it's, it's very interesting to me because, you know, kids get hooked on the funniest things. I think there was a viral post years ago about like a five-year-old who had a birthday party themed after a local realtor. Cause he was just, just like obsessed with the guy. And it's like, that's kind of, <laughs> That's very funny, but kids, as you said, they're like sponges. And I don't know, especially for kids in Southampton being such a deep part of their history, it makes a lot of sense that they'd be wanting to dive in, pun partially yeah. intended. I I think so. And also, at its basic, everybody can understand the Titanic story because it's about a ship sure. that sank after hitting an iceberg. But right. then you can start peeling back the layers and you can get a whole lot more out of it and... You know, I've been working at 
Sioux City Museum for over 10 years and uh, you know I'm still learning brand new things every day so it there's it's a huge mine of you know things to discover that can last a lifetime and probably many lifetimes um which which is why you know it can be such a you know it's so self-contained isn't it as a sub as a subject you can you know you can keep it on the ship um Mm -hmm. so it you know it it doesn't get away from you in quite the same way that other subjects can um, tangents because you you're always drawn back to that ship that 269 meters of of uh, iron and steel and wood and and the rest of it um yeah which which i think helps quite a lot when you're trying to kind of um consolidate what you know why it's an interesting story i think it also helps that it's oops in the past so it's not an ongoing event we're studying anything that can have happened to the ship has happened well unless you're studying the degree the degradation but in terms of the wreck and the sinking it's like it happened already there's we're not tracking the we're not tracking the disaster this is something that is a completed event in the past yes i think that does help and maybe with the particularly like the the aspect of loss you know the human cost we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to have the conversations that we're having in 1922 because it would mean so raw still um i agree you know the the, i i think the idea of you know people discussing um i don't know like the fuel consumption of the rms titanic or you know um you know the big ones about uh fire on board and all those right. things you know that they would have just been totally insensitive to be having those sorts of discussions and right. in soon afterwards but now enough time has passed nobody who is on the titanic is still alive and in fact most of their children have now passed away um yeah. it, it becomes a more kind of palatable you know story to look into um i, th- I think um it does you yeah. have some distance from it yeah. The example that I use all the time is um, 9-11. We're not far enough away from that yet to have the... to we. I couldn't have 9-11 talk line. No. We're not there. We haven't learned the lessons we've needed to learn yet. We haven't gotten over that first hurdle of... Ex- not accepting that loss, but just getting over that first wave of like... That next generation hasn't quite come to pass yet. <clears throat> Excuse me, but... I'm sure in 70 or so years will be the narrative, not the narrative, but like maybe the vibe around it will be different. Maybe, maybe it will be because we have found that distance. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm I think speculating. Can, no, I think you're right. I think you can, you can also follow the, the general narrative of history um, much more clearly now can't you you know it's it's mm-hmm. effectively hindsight which you can't do with the 9-11 yeah. yet really because we're still we're you know we're still working through the permutations of what happened yeah. then um whereas for the titanic enough enough time has passed so that it has kind of um yeah kind of ex- expanded outwards i suppose yeah because yeah. i know like there was a movie made right after the Titanic went down. The copies didn't survive, but, and then similarly, I think Oliver Stone made a 9-11 movie. I didn't watch it, but you know, I think it'll be a while before someone tries to make a Hollywood epic about the twin towers. It's just, it's, we're not in that time frame where people would be receptive to that yet. There've been a few, there've been a few, haven't there? A 9-11 movies. Cause there was, 
Mm. There was the one with Nicolas Cage playing a fiver. Is that the Oliver Stone one? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, Nick Nicholas Cage played a firefighter, and then there was also United. Is it United ninety three, which is about the um, the plane that was hijacked. Um, You're right. Uh, World Trade Center. The film was. It, is that what it was? Did it have Nick Cage in it? Yes, it does. Yeah, I saw it at the cinema. I think oh it wasn't. I great. didn't even know that existed. It wasn't great. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> the movies on Titanic. You know, they like you say Dorothy Gibson starring in it. That's um, having been having been on the Titan, that's a weird, a weird thing. I wish I wish they did survive, but um, I find it fascinating that she wore the same dress and mm-hmm. not a. And I think in today's day and age, someone would be like, I think that might not be a good idea. Yeah. I think she should see a grief counselor first. But back then, they're like, Yeah, get her on the set. Yeah, come on, Fine. make it. We'll make money. Yeah, it's a fun. You got it, don't you, like, sweetheart? Yeah, weird, isn't it? Um, the fact that if the fact they made it in 1912 is is really quite bizarre. There've been all sorts of movies. There was a German propaganda movie, wasn't there as well? Which I called... haven't seen it yet, but well, I haven't I... seen it. <laughs> I, know they, I know they made one. Yeah, um, I think it, it's basically. I don't. I get the impression that it's. I think they raised the Titanic, the Germans too, or something. I have. Well, there is a movie. There's raised the Titanic. Yes, was, but I think this good. is. Oh right, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I have no idea. I'm I'm friend I'm frantically googling. Yeah, it's I think it's for maybe yeah forty three or something. They basically blame yep. the the Brits and the um, Americans kind of come across very badly. And yes, um, it yeah. was. Let's say here, uh, it was commissioned by Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels with the intent of showing not only the superiority of German filmmaking, but also as a propaganda vehicle, which would depict British and American capitalism as being responsible for the disaster, which I mean, maybe it was. Mm, yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole nother question, isn't it? Um, yeah. The extent to which people were cutting corners or not, or is, um, Again, I'm mixing like up said, movies in my head. There are so many, there are so many avenues that one can go down. Yes, um, only some of them suitable for seven-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my other question. What do you recommend for for kids? Because I saw, I saw Titanic when I was eight. My mother allowed me. Uh, I'm not mad about it, but I know that not everyone's parents were quite so generous. And I will say that I think that is sort of the current quintessential Titanic film. Mm. the most recent yeah. one what about a night to remember would you recommend that for kids or is that still a little no, my much? my daughter is seven she so she studied the titanic now mm-hmm. and um it was amazing got to, got to give her a tour it was amazing and That's they came awesome. to school trip. best um, uh, best daddy daughter school project oh i know tell me about it, it was amazing <laughs> i haven't shown her the 97 film and i won't sure. yet um, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, that might, that's a lot for a seven-year-old. Even rating aside, like just watching the sinking is—it's very. Well, intense. Yeah, she, she'd have to watch someone pinging off a propeller. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, uh, you know she doesn't even know where babies come from either. So that would be a whole other question. Um, yeah, I don't think I didn't know what suicide was when I saw the movie. So that was mm. an absolutely baffling moment for yeah, me. So, yeah. So yeah. So I I don't know. Night's room might be not be a bad one. Um, it's. Uh, as I'm sure you know, it's meant to be, you know, one of the more accurate in terms of, you mm-hmm. know, an account. Right. The black and white thing might be a bit tricky for a seven-year-old to get over. Um, just, yeah. You know, whatever 
you know the merits of it might be um yeah. we, we watched a thing on about the um uh, i think it was one of the james cameron like documentaries oh yeah i think together. the ghosts of the abyss is whatever he called it yeah, or something. i think it was that we watched that together it was quite interesting but um yeah it's a hard one there is there isn't really a um a really kind of child-friendly um movie about the titanic there's some really good books though um yes Michael Morpurgo, who's a British author, wrote a book called Casper, Prince of Cats, and that kind of ha- um, it's, a, it's about it's about a cat um, and other things. But it, it lots of events that happen in it, including the Titanic. So it's sort of incidental. Uh-huh. So that's a really nice sort of way in that's for so cute. Uh, younger children. He's an excellent author. He's, he's one of the best. I don't remember the name because that would be useful, but I remember reading a book when I think maybe I was 10 or so about, excuse me, a young boy, a fictional boy. I think he was a second class passenger. I remember really liking Mm, that. I have to figure out the name now. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that one, but yeah, you know, fictionalized, you know, books are great. Books are fantastic. I know that the Magic Treehouse series had a Titanic one. Okay. And young Indiana Jones had a Titanic one too. I believe that. I've also recently found out about author Lindsay Littleton, who wrote a a book called Titanic Detective Agency, which I think is also a children's Titanic book. Ah, Well, there you go. Well, maybe the time is right for a new, um, you know, rendering on film for something for for younger kids. I don't even know how you would do that. (laughs) I was about to say, how would you do that? Yes, we do occasionally. We have had in the past schools contact us and say we're learning about the Titanic, but we'd rather you didn't mention death, um, which is you know, it's not very easy. I was going to say, you're talking what about a, you know, one of the take home messages is fifteen hundred people lost their lives when the Titanic sank, um, and actually, kid, weirdly, kids really, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say they really like talking about death, but they are actually okay looking at it and in Mm -hmm. some ways the titanic isn't a bad one to use as their because of as we talked about lots of times past so Mm -hmm. in some ways um it's not a bad one and we what we find actually is kids that they they can actually be maybe a little bit too excited about it and we have to temper them down rather than being distraught about 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 what happened and that's a, and that's a lesson in empathy and respect. Again, important for us, things for us to be talking about. I've noticed that little kids like to talk about big things. Yeah, and why shouldn't they? Mm-hmm. It's part of the human condition, after all. Yeah, I think that I wouldn't be very good to talk to kids because I'm. I just tend to answer questions exactly as they come. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, I I always found that interesting. That you know, if you do have to have a conversation with a child about something like loss or whatever, they usually take it better than you think that they will. Yeah, they um, kids are amazing, really. That's why I'm very hopeful about the future. Um, because they, yeah, they they surpass their expectations most of the time. Despite most of the kids. time. Most other of the times, time. other times they come to you and don't want to tell you that there's a Lego up their nose. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> it's a balancing act. <laughs> it's a balancing act. Learning about death and how not to put your dinner up that's, your nose. That's right. I'm never having children. <laughs> uh, well, Andy, thank you so much for letting me waste your night. I'm sorry that it was so late. No, it's been fun. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. 
I want to thank Andy again so much for coming on the show, and he really encourages you to check out the interactive map of the Titanic crew. You can find that at Historic Southampton, that's all one word, dot co dot uk slash crew. And I think that's a really, really fun, um, not exactly fun, but it's a really interesting resource. And also, if you're in the UK or you're thinking about going to Southampton, I encourage you to check out his museum, the Sea City Museum. Um, and you can see that online at seacitymuseum, all one word, dot co, dot UK. And if you want to get in touch with Andy himself, he is on Twitter at Andy V, as in Victory, Skinner, A-N-D-Y-V-S-K-I-N-N-E. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Titanic Talkline. That's my username on all three. Or you can email me at TitanicTalkline at gmail.com and I will get back to you. And I will also see you next time. Bye. Titanic Talkline was created and produced by me, Alexia. Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word. Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C-T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at TitanicTalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's TitanicTalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!